0: guys may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, as we come to this time of uh, pastoral prayer, uh, we're going to be praying for several folks this morning, some in-house, some not in-house. If you're joining us online, welcome. It's good to have you with us. Welcome anytime here in person at 1030 on a Sunday. As we come together, we are praying this week, specifically, you see it in your bulletin there, uh, for the the annual gathering of the Southern Baptist Convention. And if you know me, I'm the least to get into Southern Baptist politics and things, but I want you to be aware, I want you to know that as a Southern Baptist church, you're probably going to see a lot of things in the news this week. Not all good, not all bad, but you're going to see a lot of things in the news, especially midweek when the news cycles are slow and, well, let's pick on the big religious organization sort of thing. So just so you know. We're going to pray for that. We also have two of our guys out preaching today. We have Lane Paul. Lane, our intern, well, he's no longer an intern, he's just a member now, but Lane is preaching at Big Church. If you grew up and in, 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 you know Big Church is when you graduated from a kid to sit with your parents, right? Well, he's preaching at his home church, his first time since being in seminary. It's a big responsibility to a church of about 350. So we're going to pray for Lane. Pastor Nelson, our associate pastor, is out at uh, chaplain duty in Colorado. Uh, I think he's on vacation. He just goes out there to say he's playing army. I think he's really in the mountains out somewhere in a cabin, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. No, he's he's out doing that as well. And next week, and I won't say his name, but he read Scripture for Security. Next week after service, the young man who read for us will be sending out next week as he goes over to a uh, far, far away land to share Jesus. Is that safe? Uh, Did I get away with that? Oh, he, he's he's nodding and smiling, so I guess that's okay, but we'll pray for him as well We also have one of our staff members many of you all know judy has been in the hospital this last week and uh, We pray for everyone who comes in the hospital But it especially hits a little more home when one of our staff has been there uh, Steve going on six days is uh, supposed to go home today. That's the good news. Steve just told me But we're gonna pray for judy as well So lots to pray for but if you'll bow your heads with me, let's go before the lord in prayer We'll pray nationally. We'll pray locally. We'll pray for our church as well. Let's go before our lord as we come to you on this uh, beautiful yet hot summer day. It's supposed to be hot, I suppose. It is summer. But, Lord, we thank you that you bring everything in due season. And, Lord, we rejoice again for Luke's baptism. We we will not forget, and he will not forget the day that he was baptized. Uh, each of the sons have now professed faith in Christ and come to know you. And so, Lord, we pray for those in our church, our little ones, my family, our, our other little ones, some here, some not this morning, who have yet to come to Christ. Would you draw them to know the truth of the gospel by your Spirit? And, Father, for parents and, and grandparents who have grandchildren who have yet to come to Christ, Lord, be glorified in seeing that done. Lord, we you pray for our Southern Baptist Convention. We thank you for the, I think it was somewhere near 48,000, 50,000 churches strong who unite together for this one mission to send missionaries to the farthest ends of the earth. Father, I pray this week as as, uh, uh, almost 20,000 messengers gather in Nashville, Tennessee, Lord, there are a lot of house cleaning things to take care of, things that have long needed to be addressed. Give wisdom, give grace, give boldness, give humility, give unity. We pray Ephesians 4 for our convention. But Father, I also pray at the most local church level that, that pastors faithfully exposit the word, that we share the gospel, that we love one another as we're called to, that churches are about what you've called them to, not what their kingdom might want to be, but your kingdom is about. Father, I thank you for our missionaries locally. I thank you for them internationally. We pray for um, those going in, in, in the coming weeks, one from our church, Lord. We pray that you bless and use them as they go. But, Father, we pray for churches, especially our sister denomination churches around the nation that, Lord, you are exalted, your word is is preached. That's what we call for. And, Lord, we ask, no matter who wins a presidency, no matter, Father, this group or that group, that, Lord, we are not, I'm for Paul, I'm for Cephas, I'm for, for Jesus. We're all for Jesus, and that's what it's about. Thank you for disaster relief, Brother Doug, who goes and so many other ministries that have done so well over the years. Yet, Father, in a time like this, may you be seen as Isaiah was, high and lifted up as holy, holy, holy. Pray for Brother Lane as he's preaching in Arkansas. Lord, bless his message in Acts 13. Thank you for our young man who's grown so much this last year has been such a blessing and will continue to be as he grows through us in his seminary years here. Pray for Pastor, uh, Pastor uh, Nelson as he's leading chaplaincy. Uh, Father, in Colorado on his army duty weekend, Lord, be lifted high as he leads those men and women of our armed forces. Thank you for his service. Bring him home safely to us as we do. Lord, last lastly, we pray for Sister Judy, Lord, one of our staff members, Lord, uh, the details of which you know, but Father, she's uh, especially been in a lot of pain, a lot of things, and there's still a lot of unknown yet ahead. Lord, we pray for our sister that we'd see her back soon. Thank you that she's getting out. Bless Steve as he holds down the fort. And uh, Lord, we just thank you so much. Encourage her spiritually during this time. Lord, as we open your word, be lifted high as we continue through First Thessalonians. We pray all this today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Well, if you do have your Bible this morning, we will be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and uh, it is our, I think we're on number 10, if, if that's what the bulletin says. I lost count, you've probably lost count too, but we have three more weeks to go, okay? Three weeks to go, and you're through the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 5, the last chapter. Just to remind you, that before we read, Paul is writing, he has the last couple weeks about the return of our Lord. But you'll remember that he has not really put out any dates or times. He hasn't focused on the signs of the times, the newsletters, the headlines. He's focused on Christians living in the midst of that. He knows Jesus is coming. He's going to reaffirm that here in just a second. That's not a question. He's coming. Amen? You believe that? He is. The question in between now is how are we to live? What are we to do? And that's what Paul's trying to answer. He's not so much worried about whether the pre-tribulation with all their dispensational charge or the post-tribulation without all their charts is right. He could care less. What he cares about is that one, you believe Jesus is Lord, two, that you believe he's coming, and three, that you really are going to live for him in the midst of all of it. That's what he's concerned about and we're going to get in and unpack that today. But I do want you to remember that as he started chapter 4 a couple weeks ago, 3 weeks ago, he looked at he's comparing the non-Christian and the Christian. Everything he's writing about is this is how the non-Christian acts, the unbeliever, the unregenerate. This is how the Christian, the saved person acts. So get get with the game. That's really what he's doing. And so you know that's what life is all about. And you're going to see it un- unpacked even more today. But I want you to know this is so important. If you came today, expecting us to predict the date when Jesus is going to come back, you came to the wrong church. But if you came today to talk about the one we are expecting, you came to the right church, if that makes sense. So with that in mind, if you're able to join us this morning in honor of God's word, will you join me in standing as we read 11 verses, our third to last message series on countercultural living in the midst of of these difficult times. We'll start in verse 1 of chapter 5, be reading out of the ESV version of the Pew Bible uh, if you have it as well. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Here's what God says. He says, now concerning the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need for anything to be written to you, "'For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. "'And while people are saying there's peace and security, "'then sudden destruction will come upon them. "'As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, they will not escape. "'But,' verse 4, "'you are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, "'for that day to surprise you like a thief. "'For you are all children of light, children of the day. "'We are not of the night or of the darkness.' So then, verse 6, "...let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But," verse 8, "...since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of our salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ." who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live for him. Therefore, verse 11, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So often when we come to this topic of the return of the Lord, we all get our claws out. Paul has nothing to do with that here. I want to remind you of that. It is important to talk about the return of the Lord, but if the return of the Lord becomes the, uh, the the hill, so to speak, as the military people used to say, on which you die, you've missed the greater picture of what Christ has done and is doing. It is important, and we need to talk about it. But we also need to do it with humbleness and grace and reminding ourselves about how that affects everyone around us as well. Let's pray. We'll get into eight truths about the day of the Lord. Eight truths. Not a Baptist sermon today, more like a Ben Bush, you're up front, my friend. This is more like a puritanical sermon today, but eight truths about the return of the Lord. Let's pray together as we go before the Lord. Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you, Lord, that you are returning. Lord, help us to keep that in focus and how we live and what we believe. But Lord, may it not overtake everything else written before us. For Lord, we are called to do so much more, even in the midst of waiting expectantly, urgently even, calling people to Christ. Yet, Lord, so often we let the expectancy override the simple things we're called to do in front of us. Lord, we love you so much. Give us wisdom now in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. You guys may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, I don't have to spell it out for you, but I just had to look up the stats on this. And I, these are not all the stats out there, but I think they will give you some some context as we do. More than one-fourth of the Bible is prophecy. Prophecy is that which is predicted about the future and comes true. And approximately one-third of it has yet to be fulfilled. That's a lot. Both the Old and New Testaments are full of promises about the return of Christ. Over 1,800 references in the Old Testament alone speak about the return of Christ. 17 Old Testament books give prominence to that theme. And and, uh, our brother read a little bit out of Zephaniah that you heard this morning. Of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are more than 300 references to the Lord's return. That's basically one out of every 30 verses. 23 of the 37 New Testament books refer at least one time to the return of Jesus Christ. 39 books, excuse or No, you got it right. 27. Woo, that's a typo. 23 or 27, excuse me. They don't teach you math in seminary if you knew that. That's just how it goes. But for every prophecy of the coming of Christ, there are at least at least eight more about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? And if you were to bury all these prophecies in Texas, this is old Josh McDowell illustration, for those of you who know that. If you were to bury all these references and mark one of them with an X, and that was all the prophecies of Jesus Christ, it would take you a lifetime to find that prophecy buried somewhere in the state of Texas. It's that immense. So why don't we talk about it more? We don't talk about it because so many have done this about it. Churches split over this stuff. People get so fired up about it that they should be. Jesus is coming, but we miss the greater point of what it is. Jesus comes, and he's coming again. But friends, let us remember that Jesus has already fulfilled prophecy. When he came the first time, all the people stood in awe who knew what he was, who he was, because of what he came to do. And he is God's amen to every promise. And we need to know that these plans of Jesus to come again should be our greatest hope. The bottom line is this, is if you lose hope in the coming of Christ, you have lost hope in what he has called you to do. But at the same time, if you focus so much on the coming of Christ that you're so second coming minded, you are no earthly good. There is a balance to scripture, a balance in all things. There are websites that you can go to called the Rapture Index, and depending on which way the president sneezes, you will find that the index goes up or down. Be careful. You say, well, Darren, you're, 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 you're deflating my enthusiasm. No, you should be expecting your coming king. He's coming. But don't miss what Paul is going to say. The blessed hope of Christ's return must lead to blessed holy living now. We don't win the world by becoming like the world, but we do so, as Paul said, by shining a light into a dark place. So are you busy about the task, living anticipation of your master's return, or of the dates, the numbers, the times, the signs, everything else overtaking you so much that simply living life in the community of Christ has lost its full effect? You may not be on either side of that. You may be in the middle, but I'll encourage you to hear what Paul says. Our big idea today is simply this. Big idea is the summary of the sermon is that the deeper in the hope of the return of Jesus you are, the more like him you will become, and the more people will know whom you serve. When Christ returns, he will not ask if you had the date right, but he'll ask, what were you doing for me? And do nothing today that you'll leave to regret at the Lord's day, because everything will be laid bare. Every one of us will stand and give account. But Christian, let me remind you, Christ has covered all your sins. Amen. Everything. You don't stand in judgment on that day. You stand rejoicing with him, even in the things that you didn't do for him, because he's already wrapped you up in his love. What a great joy that is. So eight things this morning. I want to walk these with you. They're obvious from the text, but let's go through them. The first is this about the Lord's day. Is that it doesn't require any special revelation. It doesn't require any special revelation. It says here very clearly, and Paul makes note of this. He says, now concerning the dates and times, brothers, you have nothing to be written to you. Paul doesn't get out a chart, and he doesn't plot the dates. He doesn't plot the signs. He just says, you know what matters. You know what matters. He says, be ready. He says, be ready. That's the command here. Be ready. Be ready. But do you know what the number one selling books in most Christian bookstores are? you get past Joel Osteen and all the prosperity guys, the third layer of books sold is The Coming of Jesus Christ. Well, in 1988, there were 88 reasons. Some of you all have this book in your libraries. You remember this book? 19. I was four, by the way. I don't remember this book. But in 1988, there were 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. In 1989, there were 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1989. And in 1990, there were 90 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1990. Be careful. All he says here is that God doesn't need, you don't need any special revelation, any secretness. It is clear he's coming again. And so God has already prepared for us what to do. He says here, you have no need. Paul was okay with them not knowing the timing. He was not okay with them not living for Jesus. He was okay with them not knowing all the details. He was okay with them not slicing and dicing every section of current history. What he was instructed is what they needed to do. He said, everything has already been written to you. Well, what was written to them? What was written to them is that Jesus is coming again. He's urgently coming. Guys, it could be any moment. It could be any second. It could be in our lifetime. It could not be. We don't know. But the reality is there are lost people all around us. That's an urgency. Paul has already told them in this epistle to go and share the gospel. He's already told them to go to the nations. He's reminded them that they're accountable He's reminded them that time is short, but what he's telling them is you don't need any special sauce to figure this one out. Jesus is coming again. It's clear. In fact, he goes on in verse 2 and he tells you this. He says, for you yourselves are fully aware. That word fully is like someone who eats too much food at Thanksgiving and falls asleep during the middle of the the football game mid-afternoon. Your belly's full. You know all that you need to know about the coming of Jesus Christ. That's it you're fully aware of that day. And God has already set the day of his return. He says here that the Lord will come. Notice that. That is key. He says the Lord will come. This is not secondhand knowledge. It's not I hope he comes. It's not if the signs work out right, he's going to come. That's it. That's where Paul rests. I'm emphasizing this for a point. You turn on most Christian television, and it is all about the return of Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with talking about it. But guys, so often we forget that that is such, there's people going to hell, and we're talking about the return of Christ. You should talk about the return of Christ. But Paul doesn't speculate about it. He just says, get to action. Get to it. You know he's coming. God's already set the day. What's it going to be like? He tells you the universe too. verse 2, he says, it's like a thief in the night. When do thieves come? Usually at night. And now, if you have all those cameras, some you'll have like Fort Knox around your house. You've got you've got cameras up everywhere in every room. I don't know how a thief. I don't know how you walk in your house without the alarm going off. But he's coming like a thief in the night. God has already told them he will not announce the day. Christ is coming again, and we like a thief. He's coming again. It's clear you don't require special anything. You don't need to put on what was that national treasure with the best actor ever, Nicolas Cage. Where he put on his super uh, glasses and national treasure so he could read the Constitution and all the codes found within. You don't need to you don't need special decoder glasses found at the bottom of your cracker jacks. You just need to know he's coming again. That's it. That's the first one. Second thing is this. He goes, says the day of the Lord doesn't require special revelation. It's clear. The second is this is it doesn't require any events as a trigger. It doesn't require any events as a trigger. Look at verse three. He says, well, people are saying there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Look, there it, many will have a false sense of security about that day, won't they? There are many today who are living their lives like nothing's going to happen. Friends, someday we will stand in judgment. Hebrews nine twenty-seven tells us, doesn't it? That is destined for a person to die once and then face the judgment. While people are saying around the world peace and security, and peace and security. Christ is going to come and spring upon them the judgment they do not want. It's not that people don't want Jesus. They just don't want the Jesus of the Bible. That's why when you ask someone, do you want to go to heaven? That's a very bad question to ask because people all want to go to heaven. In all the years of doing evangelism, there's been very few people that are not drunk as skunks that don't say they want to go to heaven because they want to go to a place of peace and security. They just don't want Jesus to be there when they get there. But many will be eternally destroyed for the hardness of their hearts. Sudden destruction will come. There's no second chance. There's no, I slept at a Holiday Inn last night. There's no easy button. There's no, it's so easy a caveman could do it. There's no, well, I'm going to die. I'm going to sweat it off with Richard Simmons in purgatory someday. No, it's coming. But it doesn't require a trigger for it. The destruction is circumstantial. It's as labors with a pregnant woman. I did ask my wife for permission. From the, I yelled in the kitchen. She answered back. You know how that goes at home for most of y'all. How you doing? Can I say this tomorrow at church? Yeah, you know. When we were pregnant with our second one, uh, Scarlett, I had this, uh, we needed gas in our cars. We were in Independence at the day. My wife was in labor, and we, we stopped at the uh, hy V gas station at uh, Lee Summit Road and 23rd Street because we had to get gas. My wife is walking around in labor pains, looking at me with those eyes of death. Husbands, you know. <laughs> Even my need to get gas in our cars because we knew we'd be traveling back and forth to the hospital, which was quite a ways from there, could not stop those labor pains from coming. Ladies, have you ever tried to stop a baby from coming? If you've had a child before, it doesn't work, does it? It doesn't. So, too, it is with the coming of the Lord. It's going to come. And it's going to come when you least expect it. It's going to come in a time, in a place that's not convenient. It's going to come in a situation where you're not desiring it, but it's coming. And Christ does not require us to do anything. It's going to come despite us because he's fixed the day that it will come. That's number two. Number three is this. The day of the Lord will also protect Christians from surprise. Will also protect Christians from surprise. Look at verse four. He says it this way. He says, but you are not in darkness brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Christian, you should not be surprised at this. When the trumpet sound calls and he comes, what we talked about last week with, the, with the, the archangel coming and the shout of triumph, we should not be surprised. He's coming. What a joy that will be. We may be at work. We may be at home. We may be out exercising. We may be asleep. We may be eating uh, bonbons in front of the TV. I don't know. But he's coming. He's coming. And he's coming again. And what he says here is this is not a surprise to us. Why? Because we are not in darkness. Christian, I don't need to remind you today of these facts, but I want to remind you who you're not. If you're not a Christian here today, you're an enemy of God. You're in enmity with God. The wrath of God is on your head. You're in darkness. You're in sin. God's judgment sits upon you. And so on and so forth. But if you're a Christian here today, that's not you. God dances over you, you heard in Zephaniah. He sings over you. He relishes you. God cannot love you any more today than he did the day he set his eyes upon you in eternity past and saved you in the moment that you repented of your sins. Isn't that amazing? What if every relationship had that? Well, it's coming in heaven, but it shouldn't surprise us. He says we are we are God's people. We are not in darkness. Christian, you are not in darkness. So many times I hear I say this when I get in sin, I'll look at my heart and say, "God, I just have one of those sinful, nasty hearts, Lord, and I did it again." Christian, we got that's true to a degree, but you got to be careful. God has absolutely cleaned you up, turned you inside out, saved you, washed you clean. Be careful. When you say, I've got a sinful heart, that's actually saying to God, God, you must have missed a spot. It's kind of like when you, you have kids clean up the kitchen and you, you, know, you just know you're going to do cleanup duty yourself because at some point you're, they're going to miss a spot. God never misses a spot. You are not in darkness anymore. And friends, when he says that you are brothers and sisters, he's speaking to the church here. He's speaking to those who know the truth. And we know what that day is. That day will not surprise us. That day is going to be rejoicing. We get to see our king as he is. That's the greatest joy we have. Amen. And when you see that day, don't be surprised. If you are surprised and you claim the name of Christ, it might be that you never really truly knew Christ. And in that moment, it's too late. Because when that trumpet sounds, time is up. There's no second chance. Fourthly, the day of the Lord also is going to make distinctions. It's going to make distinctions between people. Now, we don't like doing this in today's world. We don't like saying, you're this way, I'm this way. We don't like saying, uh, you know, you're you're like this and I'm like this. We all like people to be together in our culture. It's kind of like Archie Bunker's Neighborhood. That's taking you back a few years. You all remember that thing. And if you don't know what Archie Bunker's Neighborhood, you're under the age of 50, you need to go look it up, right? <laughs> and all the middle the middle of, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I put that in there for that effect, but you know. But he's going to make distinction. Did you see this? You are all children of light. Look at verse 5. He tells you here. He says, you are all children of light. On the day of the Lord's coming, you are all children of light. You're children of the day. He says, look, you have not only been changed inside about who you are, but how you act, how you live, how you take Jesus into every situation you are should be different. Why? Because you're not going to be surprised at his coming and you are all children of light. Now I need to be clear here. Our culture will tell us that we're all children of God, that we're all sons and daughters of God. Let's be very, very careful. Galatians four is clear, is it not? That to be a son or a daughter of God, you must go through the savior of the world, Jesus Christ. No other way, that's it. But he tells you here that you're children of light. What is he saying? He's saying that our nature, it's gonna be evident that we are his children. That we are His people. That as we wait for the coming of Christ, we're not going to worry about everything in this world. We're not going to be overwhelmed by the things of this world, whether we're seeking them or we're thinking about them or pondering them. We're going to be different. And Christians, this pandemic has really shown a lot of our colors for what they are, hasn't it? I, a friend of mine posted on Facebook yesterday. He said the pandemic must be over because the food court at Costco has opened back up, and our Golden Corral has opened back up. And that might be true. But the pandemic is still here to some degree. We have people even in our church that have gone through it or are going through it right now. But one thing these times a year ago, if you can remember back that far, it seems so long ago, doesn't it? Is we were worried about lots of things that now we look at and we say, that really wasn't that big a deal. It's big, but it's not that big. Well, Christian, that should be our perspective in everything that comes in this world. When you look at your life, when you look at what you worry about, what you think about, what you pray about, is it any different than the people who are around you? Because if you know your master's coming, if you know your savior is coming again, that changes your perspective a little bit, doesn't it? If you are a warrior, if you're out in the army and you know you've called for reinforcements and you're hunkered down with shots coming all around you, but you know you've made that call and you know they always come and they're going to take out the enemy, your confidence level soars just a little bit, doesn't it? Well, Christian, let me tell you, our king will not be defeated. He has never been defeated. He's, he is 1-0. He's got a perfect batting average. He's a, the number one seed that tromped through the NCAA tournament without any opposition. He's TKO'd everybody, including Mike Tyson. He's knocked everyone down, including Satan. He has won the battle. What do we have to worry about? That's what he means here. When he says you're children of light, he's saying that living in light of Christ's coming ought to affect everything about who you are how you parent, how you live, how your marriage goes forth, how you relate to other people, how you view national events. It all matters because you're children of light. You're not verse six. Notice what verse six says. He says, he makes a difference here. He says, so then let us not sleep as others do. In other words, don't be as those who just tune themselves out like the rest of the world. Don't be like those who say that it's all good, I'm good. You Christians just believe in some fairy tale that some dead guy's coming back again, and he's coming back. He says, don't be like that. That's not who you are. And he goes on to say, but let's keep awake and let's be sober. Christian, your greatest call in this life might simply be to remember that your world, this world is not your own, that you serve a kingdom that's not your own, that this king who's coming is a king above all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. And those who believe are not condemned. A lot of you probably came today after last week thinking, man, we're going to parse some more out about the return of Christ. This is what it's about. This is really what it's about. Are we living in this way? And then he goes on to say, look at verse 6. He says, let's keep awake for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. What is he saying? He's saying... That those who sleep ignore the very facts of what God has given. Matthew 24, go read it. Jesus said there are signs, there's earthquakes, there's, there's all sorts of wars and rumors of wars and things that should be in our ears to remind us that the end is coming. Yes. But he's also telling them here that those who sleep, sleep at night. What is he saying? He's simply saying that those who do things they do, do them in a way that they may not be found out. But that's not who you are, Christian. You don't go retreat and look at things you shouldn't be behind a closed door. You don't go gossip about other people when no one else is around. For the Lord's eyes are everywhere. He beholds the evil and the good. It's not like those, he goes on to say, who get drunk, get drunk at night. You know, I run at night. I think you know that. I've seen some weird things at night. Running around the streets of Liberty and and the back roads, you see all sorts of things. When I see a car with their car lights not on out on a deserted road, I always tell Natalie, if you don't see me, it's probably where I'm at because you never know when I'm going to come back because it just gets weird out there. There are just weird things that happen. Last week, a couple weeks ago, you all know I was chased by a coyote a few months ago when I was out on a run. I decided to brave it with a garden stake. I, I, I found a garden stake they put out when the uh, uh, contractors came through our neighborhood for AT&T Fiber. So I was running down the road with a garden stake. And wouldn't you know, out by Liberty Landing Airport, some of you know where this is, uh, out there where there's no light except my own, and there's a railroad and a river, there was a parked car. Didn't know what it was. Turned on my lights as bright as they went, and wouldn't you know, it was a cop car. Here I am running without a shirt in the middle of the night with a garden stake, (laughs) running down about five-minute, 45-mile pace on the flattest road that's out that way. He stopped me and said, what what in the world are you doing? I said, I'm chasing off coyotes, sir. He just laughed, and he said, I'm out here for bigger things than that, and he drove off. (laughs) But you never know what's going to happen at night, amen? You just don't know. And that reminds me. I don't say that to say, look at me. I say that because this relates to this verse. When people want to do things, they go places where no one else are. You get that? But Christian, that's not who you are. You are to let your light shine before men because your children are the light. You're to let your life be lived in such a way that when people look at you funny, you say, it's not for me, I do it for Christ. You're to live your life in such a way and be in such a way that when people see you, they see a little bit more than this world has to offer. And his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm not suggesting you go out and run shirtless with a garden steak, snake, not snake, out in the middle. That would have been I wouldn't have told him what church I belonged to if I was carrying a snake out that far, but you understand. God is good. The bottom line is this. God makes distinctions between us and other people. May we live for Christ's glory. Amen. And that's what it's all about. Some of y'all, that's all you're going to remember about the sermon today. It's about what your pastor does at 3 in the morning on random Saturdays, but that's another topic. Let's look at verse 8. He goes on to say, He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober. That's the second time he said that. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love. He says, look, he says, put on everything you need to love other Christians. Don't let this time of waiting be divisive. Don't let this time of waiting be disunified. Don't let this time of waiting be anything else other than what you're called to do. And Brendan, you can go ahead and switch it over. Tom, whoever's got it back there that number five, we, are, we have our marching orders. These are not just get out of jail free cards. We are to be sober. We are to be intentionally focused on the things that God says to be focused on. That's what he's saying. We are to do what he says. We are to deny our nature. We're to fight sin. We are to persevere in the faith, put on the breastplate of faith Put on your arm. You know what a breastplate is? It's like the armor. Put it on so you, against the wiles of the devil, you can hear Ephesians 6, the armor of God coming across here. Paul probably, if he watched TV, I don't know if Paul ever would, I'm sure ESPN would have been right up his alley. Sports and, and games and war were all analogies he used. But why do you do this? Because of love. You do this because you love the Lord and you love other Christians. The breastplate is the protection. You're going to persevere in the faith. But then he says, put on your helmet. He says, having this hope, having put on the helmet, which is your hope of your faith. He's saying, look, be prepared. You don't just sit back and kick up your legs and say, come on, Jesus, I'm waiting. You're late. Come on. He says, you do so prepared and ready for battle. You do so actively. These are all active verbs in the Greek. If you want to use all that present tense, and, and that's what it's about. Why? What are you to be ready for? Well, he tells you in verse 9. Number 6, the day the Lord mandates that we proclaim the gospel intentionally. Look at verse 9. He tells you partly what to be ready for. He says, For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, God does not hate you. God does not hate you, Christian brother, Christian sister. That all fell on his son, Jesus Christ. You are loved, dearly, deeply loved. But there are some people who don't know that love, aren't there? They're your family. They're your friends. They're your co-workers. There's people you've never met. God did not destine us for wrath. What is he saying? He's saying that on the return of that day, if you're really in Christ, he's not going to cast you away. He's not going to toss you out. I remember growing up, going to a church over in Excelsior Springs, it's now defunct, where we went on a youth group thing, and as soon as they had the altar call, the the cameras came on, the lights came on, and you'd see these kids go down the the, the, the aisle. Some of y'all remember these days, the preacher said, if you want to know Jesus, come on down, pray this prayer, and you'll get saved right here, right now. And I had a friend go up, I said, man, you just got saved like a week ago. He said, I know, but I've done some bad things, and it's saved all over again. And our youth pastor at that time, Eric Martin, said, he said, Darren, he said, when you grow up in ministry, be very careful that you don't preach a Jesus that leaves you and forsakes you one day, and you have to come back to him the next and perform even better. Friends, you are saved once and for all if you're saved in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's it. That's what we believe but there are those who don't know that. What is the purpose of our calling? It's to obtain salvation. That's what life is about, that we know God and make much of Him. And how do we get that salvation? Note that key phrase here. It's very distinctive. He says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul holds nothing back on this. The day of the Lord is through Jesus Christ. But friends, we have to share the gospel. We have to share the gospel. Spurgeon said, if you, desire, if you don't have any desire for others to be saved, be sure of this, sir, that you're not saved yourself. Those words always haunt me. There are days that go by that I don't share the gospel, and there are weeks even that I look back and say, how many people have actually heard the gospel through me? I have my kids? I have people my neighbors? We're all guilty as charged. But Christian, I want you to know that one of the greatest things you can do in the light of Jesus' turn is to talk about him. Share your story. Share the gospel. Share the testimony. This mandates intentional proclaiming the gospel. Number seven, as we get into verse 10, the day of the Lord also requires of us and demands of us that we don't focus on the timing of the day, that we don't focus on the timing of the day. Number 10, what is the focus? The focus isn't on the timing of Christ's return. The focus is on him. He says this, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. The last day is about Christ's sacrifice. The last day is about what Jesus did, what we're going to do for all eternity. What are we going to do in heaven? Are we going to swing on pearly gates? Are we going to dig up Achan-style Joshua chapter 7 and hide uh, streets of gold in our tent, hope God doesn't find it? You know, what are we going to do in heaven? Are we playing chess Are we going to have a big, big house with lots and lots of room, as Audio Adrenaline once said? What are we going to do? Friends, in heaven, can I say it again? In heaven, we are going to just stand in awe of the Lamb who gave His life for us. We're going to be so focused on worshiping Him, playing baseball, running that distance you never thought you could, eating all the big buffets you think are there. Maybe they are. I don't know. Really, no one's going to care but everyone's going to care about him. The one who's high and lifted up, whose eyes and whose hair are like fire and his eyes or his hair is like as white as snow. That one, that's who the focus is going to be on. Notice he doesn't say here, wait for this, do this, do this. He says it's about Christ's sacrifice. And notice he says it's not about what happens here, whether we're awake or asleep. Whether you're here when Christ returns or you're asleep when Christ returns, he said this last week, you'll be with Christ. That's a pretty good deal. So whether I die for Jesus, I live for Jesus, or if I am alive when Jesus comes, I'm still with Jesus, amen, yes. You remember that show, some of y'all, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? You remember that show? And they'd climb the rung. If you remember the show, you'd answer a question, you'd have lifeline. And you could call somebody, you could, you could ask the audience, or they'd take half of them away. I think that's something like that. But you got to a certain level where if you did not answer the question correctly, you lost everything. You literally went all in. You put all your chips on the table, so to speak. And if you didn't answer correctly, eh, you're out. Forget whatever else you did. And so many times, you remember that show, you sat on the edge of your seat and you said, come on, man, answer the right question, or, or walk away, whatever you yelled at the screen. And you hoped he made the right choice. And they, it's like those horror movies. They know the monster's there. Why do, you go, why do you go out in the open, go hide and get a gun or something? You know. Don't you ever just think that when you watch something? Just stop it and Be reasonable. Well, friends, here's the reasonable answer. Christ has told you he's coming again. There's nothing you can do that can separate you from his love. That's what he wants you to focus on. That's it. Why? Because we might live with him. and that's that the goal of the Christian faith, that we might live with him? Last thing is this, number eight. This is always an encouraging topic. It's not a divisive one. Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up just as you are doing. If we allow anything about how we view the return of Jesus to overtake how we treat, love on, pray for, fellowship with other believers in the body of Christ, you're doing it wrong. Encourage one another with these words. When you're having a bad day at home, is it okay to say Jesus is coming again? Amen it is. When this church struggles, and Tower View, we're going to struggle. Praise God that we this nursery, or Children's Center, forgive me. I always say it wrong. It is probably it. We're getting there. The tiles are up. The walls are painted. We just got to put carpet down and do those things. Thank you, Steve and crew, for getting that rolling and going. It's coming. If you're visiting with us, we don't usually have our, our stuff out in the back back there, but it's hanging out. It's okay. But guess what? If this church struggles financially at some point, we struggle through issues coming up that we need to talk about. Can we agree on this one thing? We're in this together. We are not the enemy with one another. The enemy has been defeated. He's named Satan. And God will soon crush Satan underneath his feet. Romans 16, 19 says, that's what it says. I love this church because we can disagree and still come together. I bet you I disagree about most of you about the end times. But I bet you we all agree about the Lord of the end times. Amen? Whatever end times theology you have, is your Jesus big enough to include everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, who's seeking to live for the Lord, and is seeking to evangelize for the Lord? Paul says it is. Encourage and build each other up. And guys, we have nothing to fear. Let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for this passage, which is clear about who we are, clear about what we're to be, and clear about who we're not and what we're not called to do. Father, we don't de-emphasize the return of Christ. In fact, this passage accelerates it. It, it. It emboldens it. Yet, Lord, despite doing so, it calls us to a way of life that we know to live. What we preach here today is not new to most in this room. It's known. Father, we often confess we have more truth in our lives than we live out, but but Father, by your grace, through your Spirit, help us to do so to your glory. So we raise kids, some of us, who are of that stage of life. Lord, as, as, as many are in their, their latter years in retirement, Lord, some uh, with husbands or wives still around, some with unbelieving husbands, unbelieving wives. Father, we pray whatever slot we are in—middle age or young kids, whatever we are. Father, if we know you, may we truly seek to honor you in how we live, and Lord, in doing so, may we be people of great hope—not hope that our sports team might win this year because we got this pitcher, that quarterback but the hope that we have firmly set on Jesus Christ, that he is the rock of our salvation. There's no other name under heaven by which we are saved. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, our hope rests in that. Lord, let us be about those people. And Lord, as we go forward as a church, we have many conversations ahead about how we're organized, what our mission is, how we revamp the space to make it useful for years to come in the days ahead. As we pray for a replacement Uh, to fill the shoes of Brother Craig as he leaves. Father, there are lots of things ahead. But Father, with one voice in unison, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come, just as the end of Scripture does. And oh, we look forward to that day. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.